Hi, it's Kate Brownfield from ADHDKidsCanThrive.com. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like, comment, and share as it will help others find the ADHD Kids Can Thrive podcast. Today, my guest is Casey Davis. She is a licensed professional counselor, author, speaker, and the person behind the mental health platform, Struggle Care. Please enjoy our conversation. Hi, Casey. Thank you for being here. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Thank Um, you so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, let's get started um, kind of from the the top. I'm really curious. um, You have ADHD yourself, and you grew up, obviously, as an ADHDer. Um, Is there anything that you can share with us just kind of on your own personal journey of what you've learned um, growing up with ADHD? Yeah, I think the statement that I heard from a psychologist one time that best sort of helped me to understand my ADHD was they said that ADHD is not the inability to pay attention. It's the inability to regulate attention and that our attention regulates around things that are novel, things that are urgent, things that are interesting to us. And that really made a lot of sense to me because in a lot of ways, I, I didn't look like a lot of what you would picture for ADHD. Um, and the reason for that is because I really liked learning. I went to, um, a really great school with great teachers that made learning interesting. And so I would go to class and they knew that I had an auditory processing disorder. So they were always putting me in the front row. Okay. So I was, there wasn't enough stuff to get distracted with a, but B I would listen to my teachers and I would comprehend everything they were saying. And I would make connections in my brain with all of the various concepts they were giving me. Um, and then they would assign homework and I would look at the board and I'd say, I'll remember that. And I wouldn't, or I'd write it down and then you know, I'd put it into my backpack, never to think about again. And, and every day I was going into class and they were going, all right, hold it, hand in your homework. And I was going, Oh God, like I have literally not even thought about this until the day before. And <laughs> I'm wrestling around in my backpack, pretending like, um, Oh, you know what? I can't find it. I did it, but I don't know where it is. So that was my experience. I did not do any homework outside of class, but I always understood the concepts. And therefore I always got A's on tests and the ways that they weighted grades in those years were that if you got A's on all the tests, you could get zeros on every, every homework assignment and still pass the class. Okay. So you know, I got called out for succeeded. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. And did you like learning every single subject in school? Everything except math. Yeah, that's great. Because math has no concepts that relate to other concepts in my mind, like a little web of things. And because I also have a learning disorder with numbers um, that co like interacts with my ADHD and like my working memory is so poor that, you know, if we're doing long division, yeah, um, just being a few inches down on the page, if I'm carrying a number, I don't remember what that number is by the time I get down to write it down and I write down the wrong number. And so in math, I was constantly following the correct steps to the equations, but um, not doing these small calculations correctly, the adding, the subtracting, the small things in there. And so I hated math. Right. Cause you always had an error for just, yeah, so like I just one didn't... little tiny mistake, right. And the whole yeah. thing's wrong. Yeah. 
and I could logic my way through most things, um, but I didn't because it was hard for me. It was boring and I didn't pay attention. And so then I just started to fail math. Yeah. Okay. All right. So school actually helped you regulate yourself. It's essentially yes. how it went yes, for you. The, the structure of school. Yes. Okay. And um, outside of school, were you able to regulate yourself? No. Okay. <laughs> That's why you did do your homework or, or what have you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, not and, at all. I couldn't create structure outside of school. I watched a lot of TV, like almost obsessively, um, which is not really causal. It's just like the result of like, that was very regulating to me. I would watch the same things over and over and over. Yeah. Okay. And probably in this day and age, that's the kids watching the YouTube, right? Yeah. Right. It's very calming, I guess. Not that it's necessarily good for everybody, but it is, it can help you regulate. Okay. So I thought in your journey, which was really interesting is something um, that substance abuse and ADHD can definitely go hand in hand. And on your social media, you talk about how um, you were addicted to alcohol and have overcome that substance abuse habit. So I really was curious about the wisdom that you could share with us on um, what you learned from that experience could pass on to other teens and young adults with ADHD who may be struggling with substances. And really for parents who are trying to parent a young adult or teen through this period of time and how to help them and support them. Totally. I think one important thing is that um, I wish that I would have had more help with structuring things outside of class. Like I wish that somebody could have just told my parents directly what the homework was, or somebody could have written it down for me and handed it to me. And my parents knew to go in my backpack and pull it out and let's look at it together because I wasn't making the decision not to do the homework. I was literally forgetting every single day when I left the classroom. Um, So like, I wish that before treating it like a behavior issue where Mm -hmm. we just put more and more punishment for not um, doing homework, that we would have intervened as if, uh, you know, it was a competence issue. And, And I could not have said at that time, well, I just don't remember, or said it in a way that would have sounded like I wasn't just making excuses. Right. And, and so, you know, it's not like your kid's going to voice it the way I'm voicing it. Because you're mature and grown up now. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's really great advice too, because I think parents um, get in this pickle of comparing their child to a typical child. And then you listen to what the teachers and experts say of kind of like certain benchmarks kids should be hitting at certain times in their life. And so if their ADHD child is not hitting that benchmark of, um, let's say doing their homework or writing down their assignments, Mm -hmm. I think as a parent, you get kind of like, you go into this internal struggle of like, well, should I be helping them or should I let them fail? Yes. And I've been there as a parent for sure. I think the other biggest thing is like, don't let your gifted ADHD kids fall through the cracks. Yeah. Because we will succeed. We will get good grades. We will do well, but nobody's noticing that we are lacking all of these skills and we are overcompensating for those skills with giftedness and high intelligence and intuition and logic 
but eventually you get to a certain grade level where you can't do that anymore and and you can't master the subject matter anymore because you never built the foundational skills for example uh, on how to study i didn't know how to study on how to create structure outside the classroom on how to do even like basic math skills because i was literally just logicking my way through math for so long that i wasn't yeah. learning how to actually do them and then you got to these higher equations where you couldn't logic through it anymore and so don't say to yourself well they're doing well in school that she, they don't need accommodations or we don't need to get testing or it's not affecting their school because it may eventually catch up to them yeah, and it usually does. And I think you're pointing out once again that ADHD is not an IQ problem. It has nothing to do with somebody being intelligent or not, right? Mm -hmm. ADHD kids are intelligent. That's not the issue, right? <laughs> okay. All yeah. right. So tell us about substance abuse. Like, so you fall, you can, ADHD kids can easily fall into this um, feeling of, inadequacy, I guess. I think you talked, I liked what you talked about how you always felt like you were different, which may have been why you were numbing out on alcohol. Yeah. It's and, hard and to, then, I mean, I know that there's a big overlap and correlation between ADHD and addiction. It's hard to draw a one-to-one -one comparison because like everyone's life is so complex. You know, you also have yeah. trauma and you also have environmental factors and genetics and all these things. But uh, to your point, yeah, I, I did always grow up with a sense of feeling like I didn't quite fit in, even though I was popular. Um, so on the outside, it doesn't look like I didn't fit in. I wasn't like a loner. I wasn't, you know, but I still didn't feel like I quite measured up to everybody around me. Yeah. And for me, when I started using drugs, it was the first time that I felt like here's an identity I can step into that I know how to do that I'm good at that makes people like me. Okay. So maybe eased your anxiety. Did it mm -hmm. feel it helped you right? Or did you find with your drug abuse that it was hard to regulate? No, I find that I really, I mean, I just was chasing the euphoria, like the idea that you could be in control of your emotions. Like you don't have to wait around for something good to happen to you. And if something bad happens, you don't have to sit around and feel it. Like you can just go out every day and make the choice to experience euphoria. Okay. Just because it's easy or cause you, yeah. 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 Why wouldn't you? Yeah. I know. It sounds, like, it sounds very typical to, you know, young adult, that teen kind of a mindset of a teen and a young adult anyway, right? Easy. Yeah. And then the more you use, the more it disrupts your reward pathways in your brain, which are probably already dysfunctional from the ADHD. Yeah. And then the more the your life without drugs becomes gray and sort of unbearable and boring and like boring is kryptonite to ADHD kids. Yeah. And so you use more and then you disrupt those neuropathways even more. And so when you're not using everything is even more boring and you just really mess with what's called the hedonic threshold, where you get yourself to a place where you almost can't experience pleasure unless you're using. Oh, interesting. Okay. So what's your advice for parents who have an ADHD kid who may be dipping into who might these, be getting yeah. into substances? Gosh, what should a parent do? I mean, just think from like a parent's standpoint for support, what can they do? I just, I don't think that there's any one magic answer. And I think that's really what we want as parents. Like we want like 
Just tell me the right way to handle it so that my kid doesn't become addicted. Just tell me the right way to handle it so that, you know, something bad happens to my kid. And I don't know if there is one perfect way, or at least not one perfect way for every child. I think that, you know, you do your best to have open conversations with them. You do your best to have boundaries without, you know, leaning so far into maybe like punitive, like you're not going to punish your kids out of addiction. Right. It's great advice. Wise words. Okay, Casey. I know heavy, but that's a very wise uh, wisdom. Okay. So your work life now you've evolved into this, what I call a struggle care advocate. I love the work that you do. Um, Tell us what uh, your mantra is and how you support. Um, I think you're primarily focused on adults. I mean, I came across you, I think, from the standpoint of talking to adults, but I felt like, which is why I have you here, is your messaging is so important, even for kids who are struggling. And it's a great message for parents who are raising kids who are struggling. Because again, I think we get caught up as parents that our kids should be doing certain things at certain ages. And if they're not, they're failing. Yeah. And so I love your message. It just, it brought tears to my eyes. I must admit, I needed to hear that message. I needed to hear your message. It's Thank a great you. reminder as a parent on truly what's important when we're raising, you know, humans that feel good about who they are and building their self-esteem to get through this, this life. So Okay. Tell us what, tell us what you do and your messaging. I'll just like, so my, my message is that care tasks are morally neutral. So care tasks is anything from cleaning to hygiene, to feeding yourself. Um, and the idea that, you know, how you do them and how good you are at them has nothing to do with being a good or bad person has nothing to do with being a failure or success. And it's this message that, you know, let's take back these tasks for what they really are, which is just ways to care for ourselves. Because for so many of us, they become this external measurement of being good enough, being a good enough adult, being a good enough, whatever. And I think this does have a lot to do with parenting because, you know, we want so much for our children to be responsible because the ability to regulate enough to be responsible can create a lot of joy in your life. And there can be a lot of heartache if you can't be responsible or disciplined enough to do what you need to do to create the life you want. And so it's anxiety producing to see, and it doesn't matter the age, right? I sometimes look at my five-year-old who's not good at picking up her toys and think, oh God, you know? And, and so I always say like, at the end of the day, the brain isn't done growing until you're like 25. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, if I get my kids to the age of 18 and they have made their beds every day, they clean up after themselves every day, they cook for themselves, they do all these things, but the moment they're not under my structure anymore, it falls apart and they don't have a good relationship to those tasks. Like the only thing they understand about those tasks is this is what's expected in my mother's house. And if I don't do them, this happens. But if I do do them, this happens. That's not anything to take with them except the ability to do something. If there's enough consequences or rewards, I would rather, even if my kid never made her bed, for any day that she lived under my roof, if I could teach them that they are people who deserve to function and that doing these kinds of tasks is a way of being kind to your future self. 
and asking them what, what matters to you about tomorrow? Like, what do you want tomorrow? Because my kid's never going to say, I would love to have a clean room tomorrow, but she is going to say, I really hate that my phone dies every day at school. And I wish that I would remember to plug it in at night. And I help her by finding her own motivation, what she's already motivated to do and help her build skills around how can I remind myself? How can I make a routine around plugging in my phone? Because these are skills. These are muscles that I'm flexing in order to set myself up for future success. And she might not care about her bed being made until she's 30 or she might never care. Right. Right. But the point is she's going to get to an age where she will start to care if this, her space is clean and she will start to care if it's functional. She will start to care that she doesn't feel good when she eats certain things. And then she'll have the skills. Like I don't need to create the motivation in my children. I need to help them build skills because the motivation will come later. Right. And they might be in their 20, late twenties or thirties before that motivation hits. Right. The arc is always longer. Uh, with the ADHD kids. So um, in specific examples, I think, um, like I loved what you talked about with the laundry, right? You know, I think the skill set for completing the laundry can be different for every human being, right? (laughs) As far as like how complete laundry can look for someone. And it doesn't matter, right? If they don't fold the clothes, or I think the best system I had to learn personally in my own journey as a parent is that if the clothes just get into a drawer or a basket, that's good enough, right? That's Mm -hmm. all we can ask sometimes. Yeah. I think if finding, you know, instead of, so this wholesale condemnation on like, oh, why aren't you brushing your teeth or why aren't you doing your laundry? Really having this non-judgmental approach and getting curious with like, what is it about brushing your teeth that, that, you, that bothers you, that you feel resistance to. And so they're either going to say, you know, I forget, or I don't like the way it feels, or, you know, the taste of mint kind of burns, or I just don't think about it, or it doesn't matter, or I don't think I deserve clean teeth. Like you're going to get to an answer there. And then I think any step that you can remove that is the, that is kind of where the bottleneck is happening, just remove it. Right. So like, if it's the folding, like, okay, well then don't fold anymore. Like, but you still deserve clean clothes. So maybe you can just organize them in your drawers. Or like you said, maybe you can at least keep them in a basket. So you're not stepping on them on the floor. Right. Right. Everything has kind of a place. Help us with um, how you advocate, how like a parent, I think we talked a little bit about this, but how as a parent, we can get out of that trap with our kids of making them feel bad if they're not doing certain things or uh, nagging them to death to do, to do certain things, like how sometimes we need to maybe overlook when, especially when it comes to self-care and chores. I mean, I feel like once school hits and ADHD kids, especially the, the demands of how school is designed in our culture today is incredibly demanding. It's all day. Um, It's eight hours a day. And then it's also involves a lot of homework. Um, and so for a neurodiverse child, it's very overwhelming, right? School becomes the dominant overwhelming force and the priority in that child's life. And so the chores and self-care can kind of fall by the wayside, right? Or it becomes not as important. So it becomes this balance of like, do you do your homework or do you like do your laundry sure, or learn yeah. how to cook dinner? Well, or do I, you I have firmly like, believe... 
that like I'm anti-homework. I don't think children should have homework until they're in high school. And I certainly don't think that ADHD children should ever have homework because the amount of executive functioning that is required to get through school um, that they still need when they get home. I mean, we have a limited a number of resources in our executive functioning in our brain. Yeah. And they're already using them to get through school. A lot of kids experience what we call post um, post restraint collapse, which is that I've been using all of my resources to follow the rules and to tap into what's going on and to pay attention. And so we, they get home and have a meltdown or a tantrum or, yeah. you know, get snarky or slam a door or whatever they kind of puddle. And, you know, I think the idea is like, we we're home now. We don't have that much more resources. We still need to eat. We still need to shower. We still need to spend time with our family. Um, and like the reality is, you know, if your kid gets home at four, four 30 and you want them in bed by nine 30, they can't be spending two hours doing homework. Right. And so that's the predicament. I mean, that's for every parent, right. To decide, really, especially if they have ADHD, to find the right school and environment mm -hmm. that is kind of more fitting for them and not to fall again into this, like the mainstream, because the culture right now, the way schools are designed in for society in the United States is pretty rough. Yeah. I mean, it's not designed to an ADHD kid's benefit. Right. Um, and it does. So the reason why I liked you and I liked your messaging too, is because School is driving a lot of overwhelm, which makes it really hard then to do, to learn other skills in life, like learning how to cook or make yourself a sandwich or do your laundry or fit that shower in after, um, you know, if you go to school and play sports or whatever it is, it's like, it's a lot, it's very demanding. Yeah. And so sometimes that's why I like your message. It's like, okay to say, um, take a break, you know? The laundry isn't the most important thing right now. I'm going to support you with the laundry. <laughs> we'll learn those skills later, right? Yeah. You'll learn them as they come. Okay. So do you have any advice for how parents can meet kids with where they're at to build those skills? I mean, do you advocate for learning them as, as like for when your child is ready or do you kind of believe more like developing them, um, when it's age appropriate. So most people that are going to public school with an ADHD diagnosis probably have what's called an IEP, which is like an independent education plan and, um, or maybe even a 504 like accommodations. And the way those are structured is that, you know, you lay out various goals or you lay out various accommodations. So like an accommodation in a classroom might be instead of, um, you know, the, oh, they get a quiet place to take a test or they only have to do the front of the worksheet, not the back. Um, they need these, wh whatever it is. And I think that parents need to be taking that idea and, and sitting down with their kids that at age appropriate times and creating those same plans for their home life, because your kid's not just disabled at school. They're right. disabled all the time. That's great. Right. And what and not as a punishment, but as a collaborative process. And what you're teaching them is how to create their own accommodations in their own life, how to advocate for themselves. So laundry, number one, what are your accommodations? What do you need to do laundry? What goals do you want to do laundry? And not and I'm not saying you make it some sort of progress tracker at home, but what accommodations do you need? Do you need to switch rooms with your sister so that you're closer to the laundry room? 
do you need a laundry basket on wheels because it gets so heavy and that's you just don't want to tote it around? Do you need to do chores around the house to raise money so that you can send your laundry to a wash and fold and get it back? Oh, there's a good one. I mean, people are always talking about like, well, when they're adults, you know, they're going to have to do it. And it's like, actually, when you're an adult, you don't have to do a lot of that shit. Right. If you can afford it, you can pay for it. Yeah. And so that's a good skill to teach a kid. You want to mow extra lawns because that's not hard on your executive functioning, but the laundry is. Yeah. Do it. You want to hire someone to clean your room for you because uh, cleaning your room is overwhelming and stressful, but babysitting's not. So you're going to go babysit to get yeah. the money to hire someone to clean your bedroom for you. I mean, those are actual real world skills and they will feel actually motivated to do those things. And they will have to teach themselves with your help. Okay. Well, how do I get on time to my babysitting job and where do I put my money? So I don't forget it. And where, and then that way you can actually come alongside them and help them with these skills about something they're actually interested in rather than forcing them to do laundry and to learn skills about laundry, because remember their interest system is based on novelty, urgency, and interest. And so they don't have any of those things with that laundry. Right. Exactly. And what if, and I feel like most home chores are boring. I mean, I'm even bored. Yeah. You know, it's mind numbing, you know, so I guess that's a dance. You have some great ideas about how to help kind of make that more interesting. Or get your kids um, as you're trying to build biscuits. headphones so that they can listen to something while they're doing laundry, or they can right. listen to a podcast or an audiobook while they're cleaning their room, teach them some of these little things that they can do to make those things less boring and less frustrating. Yeah. So they can learn the skill. Yes. The ever ending dance. Okay. So Casey, we're almost done with your time. What would be your words of wisdom um, just as a person with this as ADHD, but also your um, skill set as a therapist for parents who are trying to raise ADHD kids and help them get through life in a, in a more positive way. I think that it shifting our mindset to, instead of figuring out how we can kind of get our kids to go through something hard, that our first question should always be, do we even need to, like, can we go around it? Can we still succeed? Can we still get what we need? Can we still be functional if we just found a way to go around this, right? So whether it's laundry, whether it's homework, whether it's grades at school, okay, maybe forcing you to try and do it the way that it's quote unquote supposed to be done isn't working. And there are going to be some instances where there is no other option but to do that because the world is what it is. Right. But you know, eight times out of 10, you really can go around it. So we do, it's non-negotiable that you wear clean clothes, but maybe everything else about the process is negotiable. It's non-negotiable that you go to school and that you learn, but maybe a whole lot more about that process than we thought is negotiable. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I know somebody's going to write in and go, but how Casey, how do you do that? So if you're thinking about, um, you know, there's, okay, let me give you this scenario. Cause I'll say how, like, if does your child in the morning need to pack their own lunch to go to school? How would you negotiate around that? Well, do they? Right. I don't know. Like so it, can, it's going to come down to the kid. I mean, how old are they? What is their level of functioning? What are they doing? Like, it, are they doing nothing in the morning or do they just not want that? Do they not care? Maybe they don't care what they eat for lunch. 
Right. Um, and also like how big of a battle is this? Like, is this, they'll do it if I remind them. Okay. Well maybe remind them. Is this, we're having knockdown drag outs every morning. Okay. That's not worth it. Right. We're not learning anything there. Right. right. And so, um, then yeah. And, yeah. and I think we, as parents get frustrated because we feel like, well, they'll just learn that if they throw a big enough stink about it, you know, I'll do it for them. Not necessarily. I think that they will learn that if they throw a big enough stink, you're not going to get into a power struggle with them. You may or may not decide to continue to pack their lunch, or you might decide, okay, I'm not packing it anymore. You're 16 years old. Right. Um, I'm not going to get into a power struggle with you about it. I'm not going to force you to do it. Maybe you, maybe that, and then having the conversation from a, like, okay, you don't like doing this. Okay. Well, do you want to eat? Do, would you rather buy lunch? Would you rather right. do extra chores to buy lunch? Would that be a better solution? Like, do we really have to pack this, the lunch bag? Yeah. Um, so I think it depends on the kid's age. I mean, there is no magical way to do this. And that should be good news. There's no magical way to do this. It's all trial and error. It's all just getting a perspective shift and trying from there and just constantly signaling to your kid that you're on their team. Right. It's not you against them, right? It's you with them. And try just realizing that you're not going to master everything today. That's why right. they're not going to go on their own tomorrow. Yeah. And I think to your point too, to set up accommodations in whatever that particular struggle is, I think that's the answer. It's like when somebody says, but how do you do it? It's a, it's in the accommodation and it's okay to create an accommodation. And recognize when you're, when you're really doing something out of fear, because sometimes I'm pushing that they need to make their own lunch. They need to make their own lunch. They need to make their own lunch. And what's happening is that I'm projecting this fear that they're going to leave my house at 18 and never feed themselves again, or they're only going to, they're going to eat Doritos for the rest of their life and have a heart attack at 30, or they're going to write like X, Y, Z, whatever. And the reality is, is like, we can't parent from that fear because we could create that kind of projective fear for, from everything. Right. Um, and the truth is their journey of learning does not stop at 18. Like, like we said earlier, like they might be 30 when they realize, oh, eating Doritos every day really hurts my stomach. <laughs> okay. Yes. I was 31 with two children before I realized I actually care if my house is functional and, and somewhat clean. So we don't have to complete the arc by 18. Right. Yes. Very smart. Okay, Casey, thank you for being here. I appreciate it all your advice and wisdom. It was a good Thank conversation. You. Thank you for having me.